May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Now I have to say right off the bat this morning that I'm never quite sure what to do with this little parable that Jesus tells in today's gospel. Make friends by reason of dishonest wealth. Jesus really say that? Here in this story, we've got a rich guy who apparently owns a business buying and selling agricultural products, perhaps other things too. Then we have a manager who works for him, and the owner gets word from someone that this manager is not doing a very good job. It sounds like he's a pretty good salesman perhaps, but he's not very good at getting his customers to pay up. The rich man calls him in and fires him says he can't be his manager any longer. Now the manager is distraught. What in the world am I going to do now, he asks himself. I'm too old to do manual labor. I'll never get a good recommendation from this guy. And I sure as heck don't want to end up on the street begging. I've got to find a way to secure my future. Some way that I don't lose all of my social and business networks. Some way to still get invited to people's homes and have a life. So he thinks about it and he thinks about it some more. And he comes up with a plan. He gets out his client list and his tablet. He figures out what each one of them owes him. Figures out what his cut out of each of those deals is. And then goes to each of those customers one by one. He goes out and sits down with each one of them. One customer owes 100 jugs of oil. The manager says to him, give me 50 and we'll call it a deal. To another who owes 100 containers of wheat, he says, let's make it 80. Now the customers are thrilled. They got a nice discount. The boss is happy because he gets what is owed to him. And he commends the manager for acting shrewdly. And the story doesn't say, but we imagine he might have even gotten his job back. The manager, well, he didn't get all he would have made out of these deals, maybe at the moment. But through the use of shrewd business acumen, we hope he got his job back and secured his future, all while making everyone around him pretty happy, too. Sounds like a win-win-win, doesn't it? And then comes the little... Then comes a little commentary on this parable, the lesson I believe that we are supposed to learn from it. It says, For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Now, if we ask ourselves what it was in this parable that made Luke decide to include it in his gospel, it would seem to suggest that he is eager for the people in his first century fledgling Christian community to be clever in worldly matters, finances, and how you take care of business. And Jesus wishes they were just as clever and thoughtful in spiritual matters, too, as we'll hear in a minute. It could also refer to the fact that this world in which money and wealth are a primary measure of one's value or worth is unjust 
and it often incentivizes dishonesty and greed, such as we hear the prophet Amos railing about today. Hence all of Jesus' other sayings about unrighteous mammon and how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And finally, Jesus says, Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Here it is very clear that he wants his disciples, all of us, to be just as wise and prudent in spiritual matters as we are in the temporal, and that in the end what matters most is how we loved God and our neighbor. Did we care for the simple and uh, uh, small things in life? And that then will enable us to care for the, the uh, eternal ones. And in the end, what matters most is how we loved God and our neighbor, not how much wealth we accumulated for ourselves. We cannot devote ourselves to making money for money's sake and devote ourselves to God and our neighbors at the same time. In any case, Jesus seems to feel that we can learn something from this manager who operates shrewdly and prudently in financial matters. As I thought about it this week, I realized that this manager was able to sacrifice short-term gain for what was best in the long run. Now, I like to believe that the decision we have made here at Trinity, for example, to redevelop our property here at 8th and Cherry has been just such a prudent decision, one that will have a positive impact on the future of our parish and its witness in downtown Seattle for generations. And while there is short-term pain involved with disruption to our various ministries and the chaos of construction that will ensue, we will have made the shrewd and prudent decision to set out in a direction that will have positive benefits financially, environmentally, programmatically, and in terms of our capacity for mission and outreach. Children of light being just as shrewd as the children of this age. Now this may be a bit of a stretch, but I couldn't help but also make a connection to the 16-year-old Greta Thunberg this week as I watched the movement that she sparked just over a year ago blossom into a global uprising among children and young people and old alike. I'm sure you've heard of Greta by now, if you hadn't before this week. Friday morning, I participated in the global climate strike initiated by Greta and the children of the world. Just over a year ago, Greta, a young and somewhat awkward teenager with Asperger's syndrome and OCD, knew she had to do something to help wake up the world, and particularly its leaders, to the climate crisis we face. She didn't know what else to do, so she skipped school to sit outside the Parliament building in Stockholm. Just a year later, 
one year later, children around the world have joined her in Friday strikes until yesterday on every continent and in over 175 countries around the globe, children and their allies left school, banded together to capture the world's attention and to say that it is not okay to continue to ignore the dangers to our future and to our planet that we face. For so many of us sitting here today, that danger seems not to affect us very much. We're going to die before it really makes much of a difference, we think. But to children and young people, they're looking at the entirety of their lives before them, and they're saying, we can't wait anymore. So on Friday morning, I stood with children in the hundreds, probably thousands, in Cal Anderson Park as they made signs and prepared speeches to give. I listened in as Governor Jay Inslee walked into the park and began talking with a small group of students about their decision to come out for this moment and how proud he was of them for speaking out and taking action. <clears throat> I hear in Greta and in these young people right here in Seattle a willingness to sacrifice short-term goals for the sake of their long-term future. They are speaking out against the greed and dishonesty in the fossil fuel industry and others that contribute to greenhouse gases, for their prioritizing profits over the health of our planet and covering up their own scientific reports on the impact of fossil fuels on climate change. They are saying no to greed and dishonesty, using their voices and their moral suasion to challenge those who profit from keeping things as they are and preventing us, <clears throat> preventing us from developing the new technologies and industries and new financial systems to set the world on a different footing. They are, yes, shrewd in their use of modern technology and social media, which, as we know, the world uses for all kinds of destructive purposes, too. But these are modern-day children of light, being just as shrewd as the children of this age. John Pavlovitz is a writer, pastor, and activist from Wake Forest, North Carolina. He writes a blog titled, Stuff That Needs To Be Said. And believe me, he says it like it is very often. I like, though, his somehow more moderated but really insightful reflection on Greta this week and would like to close by sharing an extended quote from it with you. This week, millions of people stand in solidarity alongside Greta, a passionate, disparate army of reborn optimists and ordinary activists propelled into movement by a single human being who became the catalyst for their emotional resuscitation. One person, just one infinitesimally small, statistically insignificant, numerically inconsequential person. One year and one month ago, Greta Thunberg was fully and perfectly ordinary. She looked at the world and she did what all good and decent people do when we witness injustice and malice and waste and violence. She grieved and she got angry and she felt urgency. She worried and wept and likely briefly asked, 
who out there in that massive sea of 7.5 billion people was going to do something to save the day. But Greta did two more things. She looked in the mirror and she moved. She decided that no one was flying in from the heavens to save the day, that she would have to do something there on the ground and the rest with the rest of the mere mortals. She pushed through the hopelessness and the fear and the endless maze of what can I do, questions, and she allowed herself to change the temperature of the planet. She refused to be frozen into inaction by the size of the threat or the power of those in her path or the voices inside her head that surely told her there was nothing one 15-year-old could do. The ripples of one life affecting all life. The effect of one tiny butterfly flapping its wings in the streets of Stockholm. And Greta Thunberg, as much as she is deservedly an inspiration, is also an invitation. Her life is the irrefutable answer to the question, what can one person do? And she is a mirror now, asking that question of you and of me. Because you too are one in 7.5 billion. You too are infinitesimally small, statistically insignificant, and numerically inconsequential. You too are a brief cosmic blip. You are also a once-in-history, never-to-be-repeated collection of dreams, struggles, doubts, joys, fears, flaws, and passions, the likes of which the world has never seen and will never see again. And yes, your presence is unprecedented. <clears throat> How dare you feel hopeless in the suffering and resigned to the bad news and paralyzed by the pain in your path when you have the ability to alter it all. The only thing that makes you and me different from Greta Thunberg in this moment is motion, her choice to do more than despair and hashtag and feel terrible. Movement is the only thing required to renovate this world. The rest is simply the millions of ripples of that decision, the people it leads you to, the strength you uncover, the voice you find, the lessons you learn, the paths you alter, the people you inspire. So move. Let your conscience or your faith or your humanity propel you into the world. Find whatever it is that burdens you right now, whatever it is that pierces your heart, whatever keeps you up at night, the reality that twists your inside into knots and decide that this is your calling. It is the unique space that only you are capable of occupying, just like a 15-year-old in Sweden whose spot in front of a towering gray building was only hers. And then whether that calling takes you to the halls of government or to the border or to the streets in your city or halfway across the planet, follow it. Because when you show up, even if you feel like the only one there, equality and justice and goodness will accompany you. When good people decide to move, they make the darkness flee. Yes, Greta Thunberg is one person, a fierce, glorious, beautiful person. You are one person too, equally fierce and glorious 
and beautiful. That's enough to make history. You just have to move. <laughs>